Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson, and today we are joined by Todd White, founder of Dry Farm Wines and a leader in the natural wine movement. Todd is a self-described biohacker whose love of wine and dedication to his health and the planet inspired him to start this fast-growing company. Todd educates us on the present state of the wine industry what is likely to be hidden in the wine you're drinking, and the uniquely high standards that Dry Farm Wines uses in their curating and lab testing process. Once you listen to this conversation, you'll understand why I get so excited about how Dry Farm Wines has given me the gift of being able to enjoy delicious wine while taking the best care of my health. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. We have lots to talk about. We do. I'm going to try to really behave myself because I have so much I want to ask you. I want to start with, I am so familiar with your company and I've watched it grow exponentially over the past. Well, I've been watching it for five years, but I have no idea how you came to be the founder of this incredible Dry Farm Wines. What brought you into this space? How did this happen? It's such a unique thing. Yeah, it didn't start off as a business. I wasn't even thinking of it as a business. I was trying to find a healthier way to drink wine. (laughs) And so, you know, I've been a lifelong wine aficionado. I've drank alcohol for most of my adult life, even had a tenuous relationship with drinking for probably 10 or 15 or 20 years when I was young, used to play pretty hard. And then for the last 25 years, I've only drank wine. And I had become, I started, I've been a biohacker for probably before biohacking was biohacking. And I've always been experimenting with fitness and diet regiments and various biohacking diets are probably the most common biohackers in diet. Sure. And, you know, I found for me that that generally low-carb dieting and low-carb nutritional programming was the best to achieve my goals. And I had been experimenting with the ketogenic diet since the Atkins diet came out in the 1980s. Wow. And so, but I became really a quite serious biohacker seven or eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And and the ketogenic diet seven years ago started to bubble up on the fringe of the biohacking community. It was not in any way mainstream then until probably like two or three years ago. But at the time, because the work of Dominic D'Agostino, it, the ketogenic diet started to get some biohacking attention and performance channels. So I started a therapeutic ketogenic diet, which is very different than the diet I'm on today. The diet I'm on today, I would call modified ketogenic diet, which is more like Atkins. At the time, the therapeutic ketogenic diet is like 80% fat, 
right? Very low carbohydrate and very low protein. It's mainly fat. And it was extraordinary, but it's not really sustainable over a long period of time. For me, it's not not interesting enough. But so anyway, I was had become ketogenic. And about the same time, and I don't know if it's because of keto, though, a reported side effect that some people have lower alcohol tolerances once they become keto. Mm. I don't know because there were so many other, I was aging and, you know, there was so many cofactors that I was in a stress, more stressful period in my life. I, you know, there were so many cofactors. I don't know. I just found that I wasn't enjoying drinking anymore. And I thought it was the high alcohol in wines because wines have been creeping up in alcohol over the last 30 years. And they're at the highest they've ever been. The wine industry loves alcohol because it's addictive mm-hmm. and it's a domino drug. And when I say a domino drug, the more you drink, the more you are likely to drink, right? So the higher the alcohol, the slippery that slope becomes. So I considered not stop drinking for a little while and I didn't want to do that. And so, so I started looking around for lower alcohol wines. This is how this began because it surprises people to hear me say this, but alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin and it ruins ruins millions of lives every year. And some people just shouldn't drink at all. Right. And unless we really think carefully about drinking, most of us shouldn't drink unless we're thinking about drinking carefully. Right. And so, And that's what I help people think through is educate them to think about how they drink and what they're drinking, right? And so, because I I don't think, I love wine. I don't love alcohol, which which is why, you know, which is why I started looking for lower alcohol wines. I thought I just was having an intolerance to alcohol and needed to drink less. But I don't want to drink less. I just want to drink lower alcohol so I could still drink the same amount in terms of volume, but not have the same effect. So anyway, that's how that happened. And then along that way, I accidentally discovered the natural wine revolution, which was just beginning in central France. I met, a Paris, I met an American who lives in Paris and imports natural wines to the United States. I met him completely by accident when I was searching for low alcohol wines. And, and, and from that, I was like, I discovered this one specific guy with a palate that I like with these natural wines. I never heard of a natural wine. And so it's very confusing to consumers because you say, oh, I'm in the natural wine business. They're like, aren't all wines natural? Right. And they're not for reasons that we're going to discuss. But but so that was it. And I discovered natural wines. And then I, I had made, I live in Napa Valley. And I had made some wine back in 2005, a hobby project. And so I knew a little bit about analogy and lab testing wines. So I took these natural wines and I started lab testing and quantifying them for specific attributes around health and purity and taste that I liked. And so I started buying these wines and kind of selecting. I'm still not thinking of it as a business, but I started sharing these wines with friends of mine who are also athletes and performance and biohackers. And they're like, wine tastes great. And I don't get any hangover from it. And I feel better. And so where can you get these? And I'm like, well, you can't. House. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah you, <laughs> you can't get them. First of all, they're impossible to find at the time. And second of all, if you, you, know, if you want the quantifications that, that I'd selected, you 
can't go out and find those, right? So at that point, I started thinking about a business and I, the very first kind of entree into the health world, we became the official wine of Dave Asprey and Bulletproof and the Bulletproof Labs. Which is how I met you. Right. <laughs> and, and Dave doesn't drink. And Dave Asprey doesn't drink and had never endorsed an alcohol product of any kind before. And then we became the official wine of Bulletproof. And yeah. so that's kind of where it started. And then from there, I started doing podcasts. The first podcast I did was Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey and then Mark Sisson's Primal, primal um, uh, Blueprint. And now I've done hundreds of podcasts educating people about what's wrong with conventional wines and why they should think about their drinking and why they should be drinking lower alcohol wines, right? So, so that, that's sort of how it began. And then it just, just sort of exploded from there because you do feel better. It's better mm -hmm. for you. It's better for the planet. And there are all kinds of reasons why you should drink these wines, right? And then the main thing I think that people love about them is that they taste better and you feel better. And, and that taste difference... And the feeling that you have both during drinking and afterwards is quite notable. And for regular wine drinkers, they notice a very meaningful difference. And so, and even today it remains, we're the only company in the world to do lab testing and to make these promises, right? And to, we have some copycat. I was going to say. Well, we have some copycat I've competitors, but they don't do what we do. Yeah. 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 I mean, because of our success, naturally, we've had lookalikes who've tried to imitate us, but they don't, none of them do lab testing and none of them, none of them have the stringent criteria that we have. All they, they just talk marketing speak, you know, but they're not really committed to what we do. So it's shocking that somebody hasn't just copied us in totality, but they haven't. You know, they, we, we still we still remain the only company that does what we do. Yeah. So that's how it got started. But I think, let me, let's, when we talk about wine and what's wrong with it, yeah. let me start at the beginning about why this has happened. And it's, and it's an old-fashioned American idea called money and greed. Yep. Right? And so what's happened in the wine industry is the same thing that's happened in our food supply. So to... In our food supply, basically, it's been massive corporate consolidation where about 10 companies control most of all the food that flows across the country in one oh, way or world. another. Yeah. Right. And so in the wine industry, over the last 30 or 40 years, you've had massive corporate consolidation fueled by Wall Street money, and so public money and greed, and a collusion with the government, which we'll talk about in a minute. And so the wine industry has been in bed with the government for a long time. But when we talk about this consolidation, three giant wine conglomerates manufacture 52% of the wine drank in the U.S. Wow. So when you go in the grocery store and you see big shelves and lines of wine and hundreds or thousands of different brands and labels, most of those wines are made by a handful of companies. The top 30 companies in the U.S. make over 70% of U.S. wines. Wow. So now... They don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. 
and labels that have cute farmhouses on the front of them or a chateau. They want to sell you the story that you're drinking from a place. Well, that place is usually massive wine factories located in the Central Valley of California. And then they put all these pretty labels on them. Maybe they have an animal on it. Maybe it has a farmhouse. This is just wine is sold. Wine is basically sold through two methods. The label, what it looks like, or in conjunction with who makes it, right? So a brand name, sure. a label, or a rating. And the rating systems are all, you know, fouled up and politically charged. <laughs> <to> <laughs> advertising and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so wine companies today in this consolidated fashion of chasing money are not trying to make wine better or healthier. They're trying to make it cheaper and faster. And so that leads to industrial farming practices. And then that leads to industrial winemaking practices, which contain additives. Now, here's the dirty, dark secret of the wine business. There's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Now, everything I'm going to tell you, industry stats I've already told you, 76 additives, which you can Google search, 76 FDA approved wine additives, the list will come right up. Everything I'm going to tell you is easily verifiable from a Google search. It's just the wine industry's managed somehow, until I came along and told a few million, few million people, the <laughs> wine industry has managed to keep this a secret. And even people, I live in the heart of the Napa Valley. Even people who live here, even people in the wine industry don't know anything about the additives. It's just not talked about ever, right? No. And so... Now, of the 76 approved additives by the FDA, some of them are natural, and some of them are quite toxic. The problem with this, <clears throat> the problem, and, and some are animal products. So if you're vegan or, or you care about animal rights, there are animal products being used, and all of our wines are vegan and animal product-free, but there are animal products used in, in the winemaking process, and these products are approved by the FDA. So... This The problem here is there's no transparency. So wine is the only major food product without a contents label on it and no nutritional information. But forget about the nutritional information. It doesn't even have a contents label on it. Now, this is not an accident. The reason it doesn't have a contents label on it is because the wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money over the years to keep labeling off of wine. Because they don't want to disclose what's in it. They want you to believe it's just fermented grape juice. And usually that's just not true. And so, so this, is, this is part of the collusion between the wine industry and the government is to keep, there's a number of collusions, including the three-tier distribution system, which protects dis distributors and wholesalers on a state-by-state -state cases. And then the third is Alcohol stated on a wine bottle, which is why we do lab testing for alcohol. Alcohol stated on a wine bottle is not required by law to be accurate. <laughs> and so even though it says 14%, by law, it could be 15.5% and still be legal. Well, And because I care about alcohol, and I think everybody should care about alcohol, because alcohol is a, a toxin, Right. And if you care about your body, then you want to be careful about how you're utilizing toxins, right? And so now that being said, we also know that moderate amounts of alcohol can be healthy. 
And there are a number of studies showing very positive neurological and biological outcomes for heart disease and then also for neurological function where moderate alcohol use has been shown to be helpful. But the problem is when we get away from moderate into something that's destructive, then it's no longer helpful. And so I think if you're going to drink, you need to think about, you need to know what you're drinking, you need to know what's in it, because I care about what I put in my body. So you need to know what's in it. And then think about what the alcohol content is so that you can drink in a healthier way. And so whether you buy wine from us or not, I think you should be drinking natural wine and I think you should be drinking lower alcohol. So before we take a break here on kind of (laughs) my piece, let's talk about what a natural wine is and how that differs from a conventional wine. Because natural wine, while it's a confusing term to people who don't know what it is, natural wine is a very specific type of wine. We're the largest buyer and seller of natural wines in the world. And it's a very small category. Only less than one-tenth of 1% of wines in the world are natural. The rest are all conventional. So you go to the grocery store, you're not looking at any natural wine. There is no natural wine there. Even if you see an organic wine, that doesn't mean it's natural. And this is also quite confusing because all natural wines are always organic, but not all organic wines are natural. So that becomes further confusing, right? So then you end up traveling like I do with wine in your suitcase. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I, I travel with my own wine for sure. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, travel with your wine as well. <laughs> nice. Nice. So here's the deal. Here's what makes a natural wine. There are only three attributes that are that that determine what natural wine is. Number one, natural wines are always organically or biodynamically farmed. That's chemical-free farming. And biodynamic farming is an advanced prescriptive form of organic farming. So all all biodynamic farming is always organic. So it's either organic or biodynamically farmed. Number two, this one's a little bit more confusing. Number two, natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. Conventional wines are fermented with a GMO lab culture yeast. Now, what does that mean? And why do they do that? On the skin of every grape berry at the time of harvest, whether it's no matter how it's farmed, no matter how it's going to be fermented, every grape berry in the world at the time of harvest has a white waxy film on the outside of the berry. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. That is yeast. That yeast is collected naturally through the air, indigenous to the vineyard where the fruit was grown. It is that yeast that natural wine growers use to ferment the wine in what's called a spontaneous fermentation. Why is it called spontaneous? Because the only thing required to make uh, wine is is sugar-filled grape juice and yeast. You put yeast into sugar-filled grape juice, and at the right temperature when the yeast activates, you'll start fermenting wine. That's the reason it's called spontaneous, because you don't need to add anything. Everything you need to make wine is on the grape, in the grape and on the grape. Wow. Now, now, conventional winemakers do not use this yeast for fermentation for several reasons. 
One, it's pretty fragile and it's difficult to work with. And it requires a lot of coddling and attention. And you can't make wine in very large volumes using this native yeast. It's too unstable. So the first thing the conventional winemaker does is that they press the juice from the berries, goes into a tank, and then they pour sulfur dioxide into the wine, into the grape juice, and they kill the native yeast. Sulfur dioxide kills yeast. So they kill the native yeast. And then they inoculate it with this GMO lab cultured yeast. And the reason they do that is because the yeast is very sturdy. It's been modified to be very strong. It also will withstand a higher alcohol environment. And you can buy these yeast in flavor profiles. So let's say that you have this industrial farm grape in central California. You want it to taste like it's from, from Italy. They have a yeast for that. So you can buy these yeasts to enhance flavor profiles. Now, how, I'll tell you how you'd closely relate to understanding that that's true and why that makes sense is, you know, during the pandemic, we had a lot of people baking sourdough bread, right? The sourdough bread craft movement kind of exploded during the pandemic. And everybody was eager to get somebody else's mother yeast because, you know, it had this better flavor. It was more complex. So the yeast imparts a flavor complexity to whatever it chooses to ferment. And the source of the yeast depends on the complexity of the flavor. It was no different than making wine. It's just these modified yeasts are modified to have certain flavor types. <clears throat> now, what does that mean for our health? We don't really know. We don't know because nobody's done any lab testing on it. There's no control group studies around it. We don't really know. But for me, given the choice of drinking a GMO lab cultured yeast, wine, or something that's from nature, I'll take the nature, right? And then number three is that natural wines are additive-free and don't contain these 76 additives or any of the chemicals used in farming. Now, that's what makes up a natural wine. And the difference between conventional wines. Now, Dry Farm Wines, my company, has additional criteria of purity and health over and above just being natural. So one of those is lower alcohol. We don't accept any wines over 12.5% alcohol. Most of the wines I drink are between 9 and 11%. I just prefer low, I just prefer extra low alcohol wines. So number two. Like our name, Dry Farm Wines, our wines are never irrigated. So the vines from which the fruit grow are never irrigated. Why would you irrigate a grapevine? It's about money. It's cheaper to irrigate. It results in higher yields, bigger clusters, and fruit that weighs more. Might not surprise you when you fill a grape berry with water, it weighs more. Well, fruit is sold by the ton. So irrigation is simply about profitability and about ease of farming. It's a lot easier to farm an irrigated grapevine uh, because you don't have to have the soil preparations and the attention to retention of moisture that you do in an unirrigated grapevine. The fact of the matter is irrigation leads to lower quality fruit. It's bad for the planet. We're in a drought. It's bad for the vine. It produces lower quality fruit. So we don't allow irrigation. We also do lab testing for sugar. We require that all of our wines are sugar-free. And, and then we also test for sulfur. 
So we require that all of our wines are low in sulfites. Now, let me just wrap up the this part of the wine explanation on sulfites. Sulfites are naturally occurring in all fermented foods. Sulfites are naturally occurring in many other food types. And most people don't have a sulfite allergy. If they have a sulfite allergy, they probably have an EpiPen in their pocket, right? Now, there's some questions to whether excess or high sulfites can affect the way some people feel. Some people claim that they can. But for most people, um, for most people who are drinking wine on a regular basis and experiencing difficulty in this, I know you'll know this in your practice, many women, particularly women, Many women say, I can't, I love red wine, but I can't drink it. Yep. And I have to, I, I only drink white wine. And the experiences that most of them are having are an adverse effect to biogenetic amines, tyramine, and histamine. So these wine, tyramine and histamine are elevated in conventional wines. They are because of the way they're made. And in 30 minutes, we can't cover all of them. No. <laughs> but, but, but when we were doing health events, as I told you in 2019, before we came on, we did 140, we did the official wine for 142 international health events. And like the one that we just saw you at again for JJ yep. Virgin. Yep. And, and I've met hundreds and hundreds, thousands of women over the years who say, I love red wine, can't drink. I was like, well, I've can solve that for you. So right. just drink this red wine tonight. You'll feel great in the morning. If you don't let me know. No, they always come in. Oh my gosh, you're right. Your red wine had no negative effect on me the way that conventional wines do. And it's because of how they're made and their lack of additives and lower alcohol has a huge impact as well. So anyway, that's, that's, um, that's sort of a little 101, but very basic <laughs> kind of differences in what's happening in wine. Basic to you, uh, you know, I'm sure many listeners, their mind just exploded. And I want to, we were discussing this before I hit record, but I actually was one of those women who couldn't drink wine at all at, at, at the point several years before I, I met you in my health journey. When I say couldn't, I, I had gone from, I can't drink red wine to, because I too was in the biohacking world. Even when I was able to find a wine I that I didn't think bothered me because I track my sleep and I, you know, I'm watching everything all the time. I, sure. I, I, so I felt, I thought I felt okay, but I would see like, oh my gosh, it's affecting my heart rate variability. It's, you know, it was affecting all these things in my sleep. So I just literally stopped drinking all wine for several years. And I too, I, I was never a, a big drinker, um, but I did, I grew up in the Northeast in the restaurant business. So I enjoy flavors and enjoyed wine. And when I met you at that Bulletproof conference, I literally, I, I just said this to you when I saw you a couple a month ago, you know, it, you gave me wine back. I mean, literally, I went from not drinking ever, ever, ever to, you know, reliably. And I wasn't kidding when I say I travel with it in my suitcase. If I'm going somewhere and I'm going to want to enjoy wine, I bring it with me because me too. 
It's not, it's, it's just not even worth the gamble to me. I know reliably. When I, I can't drink it. Yeah. I can't drink it. Yeah. And, and so for so long, I, I was one of those women, you know, it's the sulfites, it's the sulfites. And then as I too was into biohacking and keto and you know, it was the sugar, I wasn't going to drink wine, you know, and knock myself out of ketosis and create inflammation. And so when I ran into you, that's why I was so excited to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you mentioned how many conferences you guys did in 2019. And, and I had been at some of those international health conferences in 2019. And, and to me, that's always a, like, I know if you guys are there, if dry farm wine is there, that's my conference. Like, I know that's where I want to be. And it, it really is remarkable. So I was confessing to you, I, I kind of kept it as a secret, although I have posted and said, it certainly wasn't a dirty secret at all. But as a health coach, I'm often taking all alcohol away. As we talked about it, it is a toxin for a period of time. And I even have diabetic clients that I'm like, give them the link, like here, you know, you don't want to sure there's a lot of diabetics that drink our wine. Yeah. It it has no impact on blood glucose. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. But I thought I knew a lot about your wine and the, and the differences. And, and I learned so much, even in what you call your basic (laughs) explanation of, because I've had people say that all the time, you can drink this wine, it's organic. And I'm like, "Mm, you know, thanks, but I'm good. I'll stick with my Pellegrino and Nice. Glass of wine when I get home if I want one. So I I just am so grateful that that and that is how the best businesses I think are created is you know you you solved a need for yourself and realize that many many other people share that same desire to you know be as healthy as we can and you when you were talking about the GMO yeast I'm thinking well why would I drink something with GMO ingredients when I don't eat anything with GMO ingredients? Like what, why, you know, it's not different. So the difference with wine is you don't, you don't get to choose the knowledge. You don't know what's in there. You don't know what's in there. Right. And so you don't, you don't, you don't have the opportunity. This is our problem with the whole thing. If you want to drink dimethyl dicarbonate, which is a very toxic additive to wine. If you want to drink dimethyl dicarbonate. Okay. Or if you want to drink glyphosate, okay. But I think you should know what's in the wine, right? I think you should have that choice, just like every time I pick up any other kind of packaged food. Right. Right. If it's not raw, it's packaged. And so yeah. anytime I pick up any, uh, any kind of packaged food, I'm going to be looking to see what's in it and how much sugar is in it, right? right. And so because sugar hides in everything virtually, including wine. And, you know, and I'm rapidly anti-sugar. And so, and I live a sugar-free lifestyle, largely, excepting two or three or four times a year, right? But super rare. I go to great lengths to avoid sugar. And I certainly don't want to drink it, right? And so... Yeah, it's... it's, And that that was my, you know, I, I think a wine could check everything else on that list, but not be sugar-free and it would make me feel terrible because oh, I am sure so- I don't, I, I, sugar is horrible. Yeah. I think sugar I, I, is the most widely abused, most addictive drug on the planet. Well, right. it is, but, but until you've lived without it for a long time, you don't re- even, I don't think it's possible to realize what it's really doing to you. 
you know, now I know in a heartbeat. I can um, feel it if I eat oh, sugar. If I yeah. drink wine, the only way, see, you can't always taste sugar in wine because because the acid level, you, 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 now if it's a dessert wine or, you know, some sweet brandy or port or something, you, you can taste sugar and it's sweet, right? right? But, but I'm talking about like standard wines that contain, you know, five grams a liter or, you know, six, eight grams a liter. You can't taste, you, you, you can't taste that sugar. I can feel it, right. um, which is why we do lab testing, right? Because the only way to know if a wine is sugar-free is to lab test it. And we're testing for both glucose and fructose. So the only way to know with certainty that wine is sugar-free is the lab test. Sometimes even as taste measures, we can't taste it. Sometimes Because natural wines are not always sugar-free. This is the thing. Right. That's a criteria we have. Natural wines are not always sugar-free. Natural wines are not always low alcohol. Natural wines are not always irrigation-free. Right? These are just criteria we have. And so... um, Natural wines are always low in sulfites. That's sort of a cornerstone because they don't use the additive. But that that being said, that's that it's the only way to know most of these things is to lab test for it. Which is is why, as you said before, no one's really doing what you guys are doing. We're the only people do lab testing. One one, it's difficult. It's expensive. It's it's a hassle. Right. right. So fortunately, we have a system for it. So, you know, we collect these samples all over the world and then we send them to our lab for testing, which is an independent certified analogist who works primarily for the wine industry in Napa Valley. They just do a thing for us. Gotcha. Right? But that's unique to what we're doing. But they're really a laboratory that's set up to do standard wine testing on the behalf of wine makers in the Napa Valley. We fortunately we live here. That's probably another reason that <clears throat> no one else has done it is because you'd have to have access to to an analogy lab. Sure. Unless you lived in an area where they exist, you wouldn't have access. I guess you could maybe mail it or something, but you know it'd be a big hassle. So yeah, so it, it's just one of the things that continues to be unique about our product. Is is there any wine any domestic wine that meets your criteria? There's not. We don't sell domestic wine. I don't drink domestic wine, although I, I live do. in the most famous wine appellation in North America. I don't drink the wine from here or any domestic wine. They just don't fit our criteria for a number of reasons. Primary reason is irrigation. That's where it begins. Over 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. So there's virtually no dry farming. Number two, if they do dry farm, then usually because the winemaking styles, alcohol levels are too high. Mm. And then number three, if you were to get past those two things (laughs) and organic farming, then the price would be too high. So Mm. our wines are priced at a very, very reasonable plate. All of our wines are $25 a bottle. So they all sell for the same price. Now, clearly, we pay a little more, a little less for some or the other, but we sell them all for the same price and make it super simple to understand. And there are no domestic wines that would meet dry farming, organic, and low alcohol that are retail at $25 a bottle because the cost of land here is so high. And so most of these small family farms, and we work with about 800 of them, there are five growers in South Africa. We have 10 in South America. And the other 780 or so are spread across Europe. 
And most of them are just very small family farms. Everybody in the family works on the farm. It's usually multi-generational. So they've owned the land for two or three generations. And, you know, it, and you can't sell natural wines for a lot of money because nobody knows what they are. Right. right. So if you were to just send them to a shelf, they would just sit there and nobody would buy them because Americans buy brands, something they've seen in a magazine or they heard a friend likes or, you know, or these rating systems and natural wines are not rated. Right. And so it's, it's just, it's just, they're reasonably priced because the cost of land that their own is probably already paid for. They don't have any big cost structures. They don't make wine in large volume, which is why we have to buy wine from so many different farms. It's because he can't produce natural wine because the native yeast, the fragility of native yeast doesn't allow you the opportunity to grow or to ferment natural wines in very high volume. So, yeah, so it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a thing. Right. And when you yeah. drink it, you'll care more about it because it tastes great and it makes you feel great. And so you'll just be like, oh, wow, this is really different. It really it, it I cannot express <laughs> the, the difference and hearing everything that goes into your curation process. I mean, it, it's again, as you said, if I were to try to find these wines on my own, I, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly, which is why I was so excited when I saw you last month to thank you because I just, you know, I, I was laughing. I, tomorrow, I just got the email tomorrow. My, my Thanksgiving lines are. Oh, nice. 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 (laughs) Because I, I checked and I was like, uh uh-oh, you know, uh, often I I don't even always share. Where do you live? I, I live in Colorado. Okay. Oh, yeah. Your wines get to you pretty quickly from us. Oh, they do. They do. Thank goodness. Because sometimes I'm like, <laughs> oh no. It depends on how much I, I, if I share my dry farm wine with someone, it's, it's like, they should know that I really, really love them because nice, otherwise nice. I'm like, that. you bring what you want to drink and I'll drink mine. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Well, I, I have so much more I want to ask you because we didn't even get to touch on our shared love of all things biohacking and health and wellness. And well, let's do it again. I, I would love to have you back because when I saw you last month, I, I was commenting again before we started. Your team is incredible. The 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 members of your team that I got to meet last month are remarkable human beings and I know because I have watched you grow your company that that's not accidental. The the you know the care you take for yourself, you take for your company, you take for your team. And so I would love to have you come back and we can talk about all of those wonderful things because it it does go beyond wine. Oh, you. it's way beyond wine. We yes. meditate every day together. We're all biohackers. You know, I'm on a I'm on a five day water fast right now as we speak. You know, I only eat once a day. Otherwise, I know. I so we just have like you know a whole lot to talk about outside of wine, but really about biohacking and meditation and living an intentional life. And you know, there's there's and running an intentional culture with intentional people. And you know, it, there's some, uh, there's a lot to talk about if you care about those things. There, there is, and it, it I, I think would you know for the people saying, "Gosh, why, 
you know, why is Julie having somebody talk about wine on the podcast? Um, because it, it is, it's all interconnected and it's, it's about treating, you know, our bodies, ourselves, our community, our planet, all with that same value and respect. And you have cultivated that on a level in your company that is truly remarkable. I appreciate you saying that. So we were just talking about it this morning, actually. Yeah. Well, our hiring sure. process takes two months. I would imagine. And, and it's just crazy. So, you know, we were just talking about, gosh, it seems to slow us down in some ways. We're like, well, no, we can't change. And Don't change it. Companies like hire people after two interviews and blah, 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 blah. It's like, I, you know, we just can't do it. We're just like super conscious of who we bring into our world, you know, and, and making sure that they share our values and, you know, understand who we are and, and we're not for everybody. I mean, so it's, you know, we sure. have to find just that right person who yeah. uh, appreciates the way we live. Yeah. And, well, it, uh, it, sh- it shows. And, and so I would, I'd be honored to have you back and yeah, I want to get into why, you, you know, why do you t- fast 22 hours a day when you're not doing a water fast and all those good things? Cause that's what gets me. Nice. Almost well, I can tell you gassed. all about that. As having wine back in my life that that treats my body well. (laughs) Nice. Well, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me on today. It is my pleasure. Before we wrap up, where can listeners find you? I will have all kinds of links for them in the show notes, but if they're super intrigued and they want to know more about you. Um, For all social, we're Dry Farm Wines. We do have a special offer for your audience today that they can find a penny bottle on their first order just by going to dryfarmwines.com forward slash JM coach. That's dryfarmwines.com JM coach. So you can find uh, a penny bottle of wine there. And but on all social, we're dry farm wines and we're everywhere. So wonderful, everybody. I cannot encourage you enough to, to check them out. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. You have just totally, I, you've blown my mind and I thought I knew all the things we were going to talk about. So real gold in this episode. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. I'll see you soon. I hope. Yes. For everyone listening, remember you can get the show notes and transcripts by visiting inspiredliving.show. I hope you had a great time and enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guest. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time, this is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.